If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verses 15 to 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verses 15 to 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 15 to 18. Please hear with me then the reading of God's Word. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, And from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Well, from the beginning of our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, we've said that this is Solomon's autobiography. Solomon is here writing about his own experiences. He's writing about things which he has discovered and learned. Uh, and things that he's experienced and seen with his, with his very own two eyes. And now he writes, looking back on it all, right, reflecting for the benefit of his readers, right, reflecting on it for, for yours and my benefit as well. Uh, having now returned to the Lord as he writes this uh, book, after for a time uh, departing or abandoning, forsaking his Lord. And we see that what he describes is his own experience um, very clearly with what we read. Uh, in, if you recall, chapter 1, verse 13, I've applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. In chapter 2, verse 1, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. In chapter 3, verse 16, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. In chapter 4, verse 1, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. And then finally, in chapter 6, verse 1, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. And so we see time and time again, what Solomon is recording for us are things he's seen, right? things he's come to understand. But, but what we've also seen throughout the book thus far is not only does he tell us about his experience and, and the vanity thereof, but oftentimes we see him then drawing our attention back to where? Back to the book of Genesis, right? right we've seen that time and time again. Here's the, the misery that we are dealing with in this life and then for some reason he keeps, he keeps hearkening us back to Genesis. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 3, Solomon says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What is that a reference to? Genesis 3.19, right? a result of the fall, of the curse. In chapter 3 of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, he compares what happens to the children of man with beasts. And in verses 19 and 20, what does he say? As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the beast. All is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. 
and all shall return to the dust. What is that from? Again, Genesis 3.19, right? A result of the curse. And now in the remaining verses here of chapter 7, what we're going to see is that, that very same thing. He's going to describe for us his own experience, things that he's seen, but he's going to tie it back in with, with the fall. He's going to tie it back in with the curse. Right? In verse 15, Solomon begins speaking of his own experience. In my vain life, I've seen everything. Right? There it is again. He's, he's giving us some autobiographical information here. And then he's going to go on to describe many things throughout this, this chapter. But the question, though, we have to ask is, is why are things the way that they are? Right? Why are things the way that they are? As, as he has seen them. In his vain life, I have seen everything. And he's not rejoicing in it. <laughs> right? he's, he's almost depressed over it, isn't he? Saying, in my vain life, I've seen all of this. And, and look, look at what, what it is. Right? So the question is, why are things disordered? Uh, why is there a lack of, of true uh, happiness and contentment and joy? Uh, why is there a lack of peace? Why is there so much uh, injustice that Solomon sees and oppression going on? Right? It doesn't seem right, especially in a world in which God himself created it. But the answer lies in the final verse of, of chapter 7. It's one that we'll focus more of our attention on uh, next time that we uh, get together. But the very last verse of this chapter right, will direct our attention right back to the book of Genesis right, to, to answer that very question that, we, that we're asking. As he reflects upon his past experiences, in verse 29, what does he say? See this alone, I found that God had made men upright, but they sought out many schemes. What's Solomon saying here? He's saying, do you want to know why things are the way they are? Right? Do you want to know why things are disordered? Why there is such iniquity and oppression and wickedness that we find in the world? He's saying it all starts back at the fall. Right? It all is a result of the curse. Remember, God made man upright, he says. God made man good in the beginning. Establishing us in righteousness and holiness and, and right knowledge of God, but through Adam and Eve's deviation from God's commands, in violating the terms of the covenant of works, they fell. And as representatives of all of humanity, we all fell along with them. And so if you want to know why things are as they are, because of sin. Right? It's because of sin. What Solomon sees going on as he, as he looks out at the landscape of the world, as he reflects upon his own prior experiences, right? they all are a result or an effect of the fall. And what does he see? Essentially, what the theme of the book of Judges is, isn't it? Uh, in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right, that's what Solomon sees. And that's what Solomon keeps recording for us throughout the book, which is to say what? What's well, to say that uh, man's problems then um, are not a result of God, but a result of man. Right? God did not create these problems that we have and that we endure. Right? It is man who has done that by his sin. Right? Man is not happy because of man's own choices. Right? Man is not content because of man's own sinful heart. Man lacks joy in his life because he seeks after it in all the wrong places. 
Right? This is why man's existence is so miserable under the sun. Right? This is why Solomon can say that all is vanity because it is lived with hearts alienated from God. When God created us to, to live in unity with God, in harmony with God, enjoying God for all of our days. And so Solomon sets out here now to highlight another critical theme in our book uh, to show man what is necessary to, to get back to, to where we were created for and what we were created for. Right? To be able to once again enjoy the earth. Right? How do we get back to that? How do we, we get back to enjoying our work and being truly happy and content and, and joyous? And that's what he's going to uh, tell us about in our text today. And so the theme that I'm, that I'm talking about, which is the key to finding that true happiness in this life, uh, will be our first point this morning. And it's going to be our only point this morning. And we'll call that uh, fearing God. So our, our, our first and only point is, is fearing God. Now let's look at our, at our text uh, once more. Look at with me starting at verse uh, 15 so we can have this fresh in our minds. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good for you. It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So these verses, it's important that we read and take these verses together. Because if you don't, you're going to come out with a really radical uh, conclusions to the text. And as we take these four verses together, we need to see that verse 18 is the guide of how we are to interpret 15, 16, and 17. Okay? Because 15 to 17 describe the problem that Solomon sees. But verse 18 describes the solution. Right? Verses 15 to 17 is the problem. Verse 18 is the remedy for that problem. And when we see it that way, with 18 being the guide to how we interpret 15, 16, and 17, I think that it's going to help us to understand better the text, uh, especially as we read this together. And I'm sure initially for some of us, what Solomon says is a little head-scratching, isn't it? Um, now, verses 15 to 17 describes a righteous man and a wicked man. Right? A righteous man, he says, or righteous men perish uh, early. And the ungodly oftentimes seem to have a prolonged life. And I think we can understand exactly what Solomon's saying there. Uh, you, you think about it in our own world, policemen, uh, the military, firefighters. Oftentimes, as they uh, are serving right, this country, our state, uh, people, uh, many times you hear stories about them dying young in age, don't you? Right? In, the, in the line of, of battle or, or, or as they are performing their duty. But then on the other hand, you have uh, murderers and rapists and thieves who, who commit these heinous evils and who go to jail but seem to get back out and continue to commit these same crimes. And it's like, how do they continue to, to build up this long rap sheet as they you know, getting older and older and older and they're still committing all these same crimes? We see what? We see the, you know, the, the righteous seem to perish too early. And it seems like the, like the godless, right, the wicked, 
are perishing uh, too late. And so we can understand what, what Solomon is, is feeling as he expresses this towards us. Because that seems backwards to, to, to Solomon, doesn't it? As it, it seems backwards to many of us. As it seems contrary even to the Scriptures, doesn't it? I mean, think about uh, the fifth commandment. Right? Honor your father and mother so that it may go long with you in the land. And so we see, well, it seems as God is saying righteousness many times or oftentimes ought to lead to an extended life. Uh, think about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Right? My son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace, they will be added to you. Now on the flip side, in Psalm 55, verse 23, what do we read about the wicked? David says, But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. You know, we say, well, why does it seem to be the opposite? Well, remember that these texts are speaking uh, generally. Right? It's not necessarily the case, but what Solomon is saying is he sees it happen enough that he, it causes him to think about it and to comment on it. Now, because of what he observes, he goes on to say something then that is truly eye-raising or eyebrow-raising. Look at verse 16 and 17 once more. Be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Huh. What is is Solomon saying there? Well, I hope we all can agree that what Solomon is not saying is that we are to uh, pursue righteousness just a little bit. Right? Don't pursue too much righteousness, just, just a little bit of righteousness. Neither are we to believe that he's saying that, that we can do a little evil, but just not too much evil. You know, maybe find a healthy balance between the two. Right? I hope we, we, we can all agree that, that that can't be what Solomon is saying here. Uh, neither is he advocating for what we might call uh, you know, being a, a, like a lukewarm believer. Right? He's not saying... You know, kind of live with one foot in the church, one foot in the world. You know, find a, a middle ground, right? He's not, he's not advocating that. Neither is he saying that, uh, if you're too righteous, you might die early. So, be less righteous, so you might live longer. Nor is he saying that if you're, uh, too wicked, um, you will die early. So, try not to be too wicked. Just be wicked enough. Be righteous enough. Right? And everything will go well with you. Right? That's not what he's saying. And I think we can understand that based on right, all of the Scripture. Right? Uh, scripture calls us to be holy, for God is holy. Uh, scripture is clear that there is no such thing as a tolerable sin, is there? Right? All sin is condemned. All sin is uh, worthy of death. All sin is to be abhorred. All sin is to be uh, fleed from. And so the question is, what is Solomon then saying? Well, I think the answer is this, that what Solomon's talking about when he addresses the righteous being too righteous is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. A righteousness that in our mind exceeds the righteousness of God. One where we add additional requirements to the Christian life, which Scripture does not command. Believing that if we follow these things that we're kind of 
kind of advance over and above our peers in our righteousness and in our holiness. And we all know people like that, or we've all known people like that. Perhaps we have been those people at some point in our life in which we, we create right, new kind of rules or, or statutes that we think other people ought to follow and that we follow. And we think that in following them, that we kind of become holier than others. We all know those people maybe who, who won't eat certain foods or drink certain drinks because they think it will please God if they deny themselves those lawful things that God tells us that He has given to us to enjoy. Ultimately, what is that though? All right, self-righteousness then is, is pride. All right, self-righteousness is pride. In verse 16, right, be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Now, the same person, Solomon, who wrote that, wrote something that sounds eerily familiar to that in the book of Proverbs. Right? In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, what does he say? Pride goes before destruction. Doesn't that sound very close to what we're reading here in verse 16 as well? Now, the wicked being overly wicked, I think, describes those who sin flagrantly, right, without any conscience towards their sin. Right? They have, they have no reins that, that hold back their sin. And so, what Solomon is saying is if we want to avoid self-righteousness, and if we want to avoid evil, and in particular flagrant evil that has no more care or concern right, over their sin, because their heart is so hardened by it, right, he's saying, well then what should we do? Well, that's where verse 18 then comes into play. It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Okay? So you want to escape this way and that way? You want to come out from both of them? What do you do? You fear God. Right? That's what he's saying. Right? Solomon says the one who fears God is the one who seeks to avoid everything that is contrary to God. Why? Well, because the fear that Solomon describes is a loving fear of God. Right? Not a servile fear, a loving fear. A fear that flows out of faith and love that causes you and I to not want to ever do anything that would displease God. It's a fear that arises out of one who has come to know God's goodness towards sinners. It's a fear that increases with each day as we come to learn more and more about God and His grace and His mercy and we, and we come to experience more and more in our life. And what results is out of then a great reverence for God uh, and a great respect for God. We now want to be very cautious in how we walk before the Lord. Right? We want to be very cautious in how we walk before the Lord as we stand in awe of His sovereignty. Right? As we rely on His Word as we, as we trust in Him who made us, from the beginning, upright, right, believing that He alone can restore to us what was lost in the garden, and so much more. Right? It's this fear of God that is commended to us throughout all of Scripture, isn't it? But that's especially a key theme here in the book of Ecclesiastes. In fact, at the very end of the book, 
That's the exhortation Solomon gives to us, to, to fear God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, Solomon says, the end of, of the matter, all has been heard. Right? So now, he's finished. Right? He's, he's reflected on it all. Here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. And what does he say? Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Right? When you fear God, we need to understand that obedience is the fruit of that fear. Right? Obedience is an effect of that fear that causes you and I to want to obey the commands of God and only the commands of God with the purpose of glorifying God. Right? It's that, it's that fear of God that causes us to not want to then add to the commands of God as the self-righteous person does. Right? It's the fear of God now inside of us that causes us to hate our sin. To never want to get to a point in our lives in which we are hardened by sin. And we no longer come under conviction of it anymore. Right? And this is a, an exhortation not only from Solomon to the Israelites, but it's a, an exhortation we see even in the, the New Testament under the New Covenant for Christians. Right? What does Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17? He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. But it's not the self-righteous who can do it, can they? It's only those who are truly righteous. And who are those that are truly righteous? Only those who have been made righteous by God. But see how important then the fear of God is for you and I. Right? See how important it is to have the, the fear of the Lord. How desirous we all ought to be of that. It's the fear of God that is necessary for, for both holiness and happiness in this life and in the life eternal. Right? You will never be able to walk uprightly in this world without the fear of the Lord before your eyes. Right? All you will be able to do is to walk in wickedness or in self-righteousness. What we need is God's grace, brothers and sisters, don't we? And in particular, the grace of fear. The grace of fear. I know some people, don't, maybe they don't like the, the, the sound of that, but we need the, the grace of fear. Look what Jeremiah says with me. Turn, please, to Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32. And we'll look at uh, verse 39. Jeremiah 32 verse 39, and we'll read to 40. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear Me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of Me in their hearts that they may not turn from Me. See, it is God who puts the fear of Himself in our hearts. Right? It's not something that we do. It's something that God by His grace does. Right? He imparts into us the grace of fear into our hearts. But how does it come to us? How does it come to us? Turn to Isaiah chapter 11 then. Isaiah chapter 11.
And let's look at verse 2 together. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now that's talking about Christ. The Spirit resting on, on Christ during His earthly ministry. And so Jesus, we're told, was anointed with the, with the Spirit of fear of the Lord in order to do what? To pour out that Spirit of fear upon all who would believe in His name. And so we see that it's Jesus who causes us to delight in the fear of the Lord. And it's this fear of the Lord then that enables us to walk steadily in the world because one that fears the Lord has no reason to fear anything else or anyone else in this world. Not even death. Think about what uh, David says in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If you have the fear of the Lord before your eyes, there's, there's no one or nothing for us to fear. And so if this text shows us anything, it shows us that in order to escape the vileness of our sin, in order to escape the, the misery of man's condition under the sun, in order to escape that distorted, sinful condition that you and I are both in, we need to see that, that God is the only answer. Which means that Solomon is teaching us in this text that the answer is not ourselves. Right? The answer is not to be found in ourselves. The answer is to be found outside of ourselves. Right? Because the fear of the Lord isn't something that we can manufacture inside. It's something that comes from outside of ourselves. Right? And so what we need is, is the problem solver. Because man is the problem. And that problem solver is God. The one who imparts that fear of God into us. And so it's to God we must go. And God alone is the grace that we need to, as Solomon says then, come out of them both. It's the grace of fear that helps us to come out of self-righteousness. It's the, it's the grace of fear that helps us to come out of, of wickedness. And God alone provides the escape. And in Him alone we find then true freedom, right? true contentment, true satisfaction, true joy, true rest as we live our life under the sun. And ultimately He provides that grace in Christ, then we said. He provides it in Christ. And when we look to the cross, and when we see the life of Christ and the life that He lived so that we might live for Him, there can now be no other end for which we, which we strive in this life. Right? No other end but for Him. Right? For Christ who came and lived and died for us so that we might live for Him. And so we can boldly do so though, can't we brothers and sisters? Because unlike the first man who was made upright, in that state of innocence, uh, he was given a happiness that could be lost. Now in the state of grace, we have been given something far better than our first parents were given. Right? Being now in the, in the state of grace, we have been given something far greater. The grace and the happiness that you and I have been given. Something now that can never be lost. Right? Because it was purchased for us in the blood of Christ. And so let us fear God with the fear that He deserves. Right? A, a childlike trust. 
right? Uh, a love for God that excels or exceeds all other loves that we have for anyone in this world. Right? Obedience in full, but an obedience in full that's grounded in faith. Right? Knowing that as one writer says, the happiness of Christians is in the love of God. And the light of His countenance is the life of their life. It matters little to them that the world frowns on them if God smiles. And it matters little to them that the world smiles upon them if God frowns. The ungodly have no fear of God before their eyes because they do not love God. They have no love for God in their hearts. But true fear of God is always a fear that's animated by the love of God. And it's a love that only the people of God have and are able to exhibit in their lives. And so let us pray that God would grant to us a greater love for Him. Because in increasing our love, He will increase our fear of God as well. And as He increases that fear, He's going to cause us to continue to grow more and more, uh, to, to, to never want to do anything that would displease our God. And God has been so good to us, hasn't He? He's been so gracious to us to reveal His, His grace and His glory. That true fear of God right, is the only proper response uh, to that incredible revelation. Let us pray. O oh, gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, we thank You, Lord, that although we are the chief of sinners, that You have so mercifully uh, sent Christ into the world uh, and You gave Him the Spirit without measure uh, that He might uh, live uh, in perfect righteousness and die a perfect death on our behalf in order that uh, we might have forgiveness of sin and, and His righteousness, uh, that we might have the, the grace of fear uh, that uh, enables us uh, to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord uh, because it enables us to, to, to love nothing more than God and the will of God. Um, and so, Father, we pray that You would increase our love for You and increase uh, the fear of God uh, in our hearts that we might uh, continue to increase in that fruit of faith, which is uh, our obedience, which you have uh, created us for, in order that we might uh, glorify you. And we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.